الفاتح أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين بارئ الخلائق أجمعين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ونبينا وحبيبي قلوبنا وطبيبي نفوسنا وشفيعي ذنوبنا أبي القاسم محمد اللهم صل على ثم الصلاة والسلام على آل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المذلومين ولعنة الله على أعدائهم أجمعين من يوم عداوتهم إلى يوم الدين أما بعد فقد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في كتابه وهو أصدق القائلين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يؤت الحكمة من يشاء وَمَنْ يُؤْتَ الْحِكْمَةَ فَقَدْ أُوْتِيَ خَيْرًا كَثِيرٌ وَمَا يَذَّكَّرُوا إِلَّا أُولُو الْأَلْبَابِ صلوات الله محمد When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us of His endless bounties, He tells us in the Qur'an, وَإِن تَأُدْ نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ لَا تُحْصُوهَا If you were to attempt enumerating and counting all the blessings that I have given you, you will not be able to do so. And so, when we think of all the blessings that Allah has given us, and merely thinking of them, we come to a sense of gratitude, that itself is a form of shukr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We begin to wonder which of these blessings is the greatest of them all. <coughs> Is it wealth that is the greatest blessing? Is it health that is the greatest blessing? It is the fact that I have knowledge that is the greatest blessing that allows me to work and earn a living. Is it the fact that I have children that is a blessing? Is it the fact that I am free that is a blessing? Is it the fact that I live in an environment with security that is a blessing? What is it that is the greatest blessing of Allah? And even when we come to the aspect of religion, there are different aspects and levels that we seek. We seek ilm, which is knowledge. We seek courage, shuja'a. We seek patience or sabr. We seek conviction or yaqeen. We seek uh, other worldliness or zuhud. We seek rida. We seek itminan. We seek all, you know, uh, taslim and submission to Allah. And we begin to think which of these blessings is the greatest blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah does not leave us to guess and He tells us Himself in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 269. He says, I have given you a lot and there are many things that you can be grateful for. And when you look at others, sometimes you envy them and say, if only I was as good looking as so and so, or if only I had a good voice like so and so, or if only I was as wealthy as so and so, or if only I had a big house or a big car like so and so. But He says, the thing that you need to be envious of, the blessing that is the greatest blessing is يُعْطِلْ حِكْمَةَ مَنْ He gives hikmah or wisdom to whoever he pleases. وَمَنْ يُعْطَلْ hikmah, 
And whoever has been given hikmah, فَكَدْ أُوْتِيَ خَيْرًا كَثِيرًا Then he has been given abundant good. Not just khair, but khairan kathir. And this fact that hikmah or wisdom is my greatest blessing is not something you will easily understand. وَمَا يَذَكَّرُ إِلَّا أُلُو الْأَلْبَابِ It is only those who have deep insights that will understand and appreciate why hikmah is the greatest blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now here, there is a couple of things to observe from this ayah. First of all, it appears that he does not give this to everyone. It is a precious commodity. He selects those who deserve it and gives them to the degree that they deserve. Why? Because he says, وَمَنْ يُؤْتَ الْحِكْمَةَ Whoever has been given wisdom, فَكَدْ عُوْتِيَ خَيْرًا كَثِيرًا He has been given abundant good. So, it is not something that is commonly found. Whoever has been given, those are the lucky ones. They have been given abundant good. The second thing to observe about this is that it is not something that you can choose and say, I want wisdom. يُؤْتِ الْحِكْمَةَ He gives hikmah. So anything else you can choose and go and get it. You can choose you want a very nice physique, you can go to the gym and work out. You can uh, decide you want to look even better than you look, you can go get plastic surgery done. You decide you want more knowledge, go study, go to university, get more knowledge. You want more wealth, go find ways to do business and become rich. But you want wisdom? No. You cannot go and take it. It's not readily available. Yu'til hikmah. He will give wisdom to whoever he pleases. Waman yu'til hikmah fakad utiya khairan kathir. Whoever I give wisdom, I give hikmah, then him I have given a great amount of good. Now, what makes this even more interesting and precious is that wherever Allah mentions scripture or the book, al-kitab, he says al-kitab wal-hikmah. For example, we see he says, "Yatlu alayhim ayatihi wa yuzakkihim wa yuallimuhumul kitaba wal hikma." You see, we say that everything is in the Quran, everything is in the Kitab, but he recites to them the Kitab and hikma. When he talks of Ibrahim السلام, and the descendants of Ibrahim and from the descendants of Ibrahim, Muhammad and Ali Muhammad alayhim afdalu salatu wa salam. He says, Am yahsuduna nas ala ma atahumullahu min fadli. Are people jealous because of what Allah has given them out of his own grace? Fakad atayna ala Ibrahim al kitaba wal hikma. We have decided that we will give the children of Ibrahim the book and hikmah. And we have given them a mighty dominion over mankind. So you look at the Quran and search. Wherever you will encounter kitab, you will see kitab and hikmah. Whether it is Dawood, whether it is Ibrahim, any prophet is told, we have given you the book and we have given you hikmah. So from this we begin to understand that hikmah is something that supplements kitab. But it is also separate from kitab. That even after you have the knowledge of kitab, there is something additional to be gotten and acquired that is hikmah. 
And so we want to understand what is this precious commodity that Allah does not say whoever I have given wealth, I have given abundant good. Whoever I have given health, I have given abundant good. Whoever I have given knowledge, I have given... He says whoever I have given wisdom, he has been given khayran kathir. And it is so precious that only he gives it, not everyone can get it. And it supplements kitab, but it stands apart from kitab as something. So what is it? Now, if we try and look at the definition of wisdom, and you can go look at this yourself on the internet, on Wikipedia, and uh, there are books on psychology as well that look and define what wisdom is. You will see that wisdom is something when we see it, we recognize it, but it's very difficult to define. The some understanding of it, when you read on this, the word wisdom now, not necessarily the word hikmah in Arabic, you will see it is defined as that sum total of knowledge and experience and a deep understanding of matters in such a universal manner that one is able to act in exactly the most appropriate manner that one needs to act at that moment and in that circumstance of their life. So it is very uh, difficult to define. There is a term that we use in English. We say hindsight is 2020. I'm sure you've heard that. What does that mean? Hindsight is 2020. If you speak to an optician or an ophthalmologist, they will tell you when your vision is perfect, when you don't need corrective lenses, then your vision is 2020. Hindsight is 2020. It means that when we go through life, we make mistakes. But when we look back at our life, then we sometimes criticize ourselves or others and say, if only I would have made this choice instead of that choice, I would have done this or that, right? If only instead of coming to Canada, I would have stayed in Pakistan. Or if only instead of getting married at this age, I would have got married at this age or married this person. Or if only I would have had children or not had children or gone to university or not gone to university or taken this job or not taken this job. Even though, if we had made those choices, we would have had another regret and looked back at something else. But the fact of the matter is that we look back and we think that we made a wrong choice or that we could have had a better life if we would have chosen differently. So we say, when you look back, it seems perfect. Hindsight is 2020. Hikmah is the ability to act with 2020 vision now without having to look back. So that when you then look back, it still is as perfect now as it was in the past. So hikmah gives an individual the ability to act in such a universal manner that it transcends human limitations and human emotions. It allows a human being to bring knowledge, experience, and insights to decide that at this moment in my life this is exactly what I need to do and this is the most perfect action that anyone could do and act on that thought and that action and by doing so you have acted with wisdom now whoever is given wisdom has this ability to act like this the issue though is that the only being that can act with absolute perfection and know the past before it happens is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we are asking for a very tall order here. We are asking for the ability to act like Allah would act. 
to act exactly as Allah wants us to act at that particular moment. We cannot become God, we cannot become Allah. So the only other way then is to surrender ourselves to such a degree that Allah acts through us and by doing so whatever we do in reality is driven by his hand and in that manner because he now acts through us that action becomes the most perfect action at that point in time and so hikmah begins to manifest itself and that is why you will see that when we look at the lives of the Anbiya and Awsiya and we look at the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and we look at the life of the Aima alayhi salam it is perfect in every step of the way they act with hikmah isn't it when should the Prophet sallallahu do hijrah when should he not do hijrah when should he start the battle when should he not start the battle should he fight from outside Medina should he fight from within Medina the battle of Khaybar uh, Badr and Ahad was fought outside the battle of Khaybar was fought from within you look at the life of Amir al the same thing the decision should I move to Kufa should I not move to Kufa when my people raise the Quran on the spear should I stop the battle should I not stop the battle you look at the decision of uh, Imam Hassan al-Mushtaba the same thing should I do jihad should I stop jihad should I make the peace treaty with Muawiyah should I not do the peace treaty you look at the life of Abu Abdullah al-Hussein from every step of the way do bay'ah no I won't do bay'ah should I stay in Medina or should I go to Makkah on what date should I leave Makkah when I leave Makkah should I accept the offer from the people of Kufa or not accept the offer of people of Kufa when Hur stops me outside Kufa I have outnumbered him do I fight and kill Hur or do I not fight him then when I come to Karbala do I stop at Karbala do I not stop at Karbala then when I pitch the tents by the river and they want me to move do I move the tent do I not move the tent when Abu al-Fadil al-Abbas wants to go for jihad do I let him go for jihad do I not let him go for jihad when you look back now 1400 years every decision was absolutely perfect in every accuracy people say that Hussein did not know he was called by the people of Kufa he left and he was going to Kufa and then he was trapped in a desert and he was surrounded and he was killed and well he knew exactly what he was doing every step of the way and when you study it and I have looked at some of this subhanallah even to the day he leaves Makkah and heads out and all the Muslims are leaving Makkah and going towards Arafat and his small caravan is leaving Makkah and going towards Kufa there is such deep wisdom in everything in every action that he does that you cannot criticize anything in any decision he made that is hikmah that is the fact that he has the knowledge of the kitab but when that kitab becomes active and begins to manifest itself in action then it it manifests itself as wisdom why was he able to do this because he was such a surrendered being that it wasn't him acting it was Allah acting through him and for those who might say that this is kufr I would remind them 
that we have a hadith al-Qudsi that is accepted by Shia and Sunni Muslims. That Allah Azza wa Jal says that when a servant becomes mine and begins to perform extra acts of worship beyond what is fard, the mustahab acts, then I make him mine. And the more he surrenders himself to me, the closer he comes to me until I become the eyes with which he sees and I become the hand with which he grabs and I become the tongue with which he speaks. I make him such that his eyes become Ainullah, his tongues become Lisanullah, his hand becomes Yadullah. This is So this hadith is there for everyone. But now look at tarikh and find who was Lisanullah, who was Yadullah, who was Ainullah. There you will find hikmah and there you will find these surrendered beings. Like for example the hadith that says, Ittaqu firas al-mu'min fa innahu yanzuru bi'aynillah. Beware of the perspective of a mu'min because he sees with the eyes of God. And Allah when he reads qasida of his habib in the Quran, everywhere he shows us that this Rasul is acting only on my orders and as I say he acts he does not speak out of his own desire in I reveal then he speaks <laughs> oh Muhammad in the battle of Badr when you took a clump of soil and you threw it at the enemies you did not throw when you threw, O Muhammad, but Allah threw at the enemies. This is Quran. You did not throw when you threw, O Muhammad. It was Allah who threw. Is that shirk? Is that kufr? We are the ones who are acting. You desire nothing except what Allah desires. Whatever he gives you, take it. Because he is only acting on my action. Whatever he does, I do. Oh my Habib, on the day when the Muslims came to pledge allegiance to you and they placed their hand under your hand, those who pledge allegiance to you, O Muhammad, inna alladheena yubayi'unaka Tell them they are pledging allegiance to Allah and it is not your hand that is on their hand. It is the hand of Allah that is on their hand. So the hand of Muhammad is the hand of Allah. Why? Because he is surrendered. So every action he does, if he says I accept your bay'ah, he is acting exactly as Allah wants. There is hikmah in that. And if he says, I don't accept your bayah, there is hikmah in that as well. And so, Amir al in Ali ibn Abi Talib, Salawatullahi wa salam He defines hikmah as follows. He says, Al-hikmatu shajaratun tanbutu fil qalb wa tuthmiru ala lisan. Hikmah is a tree that is planted in the heart and its fruits manifest on the tongue. That means before a person will speak with wisdom, you will first have to see that wisdom is planted in his heart. So there is a cycle that initially a person acquires knowledge 
when they acquire knowledge, they plant that knowledge in their mind. When it sinks in their mind and they act on that knowledge, it gives them conviction or yaqeen. When yaqeen enters their heart, it plants a seed of hikmah. And then that hikmah is watered through zuhud, by turning away from the world. And it is watered through humility or tawadu. And as it is watered by this, the seed sprouts and begins to grow a tree. And that tree of wisdom takes root in the heart. Once this wisdom takes root in the heart, then it begins to burst out with fruits of wisdom. You now see that hikmah in the tongue when they speak. You see wisdom in their actions. You see wisdom in their thought. You look at any book in this world, besides scripture that is from God, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by any other human author, you will see it does not last and remain alive and vibrant to this day. But open Nahjul Balagha and see. To this day, people, when they read Nahjul Balagha, they are amazed that how what was said 1400 years ago, the world has changed so much, it is still relevant today. Why? Because the speaker was filled with wisdom. He was one who could define the meaning of wisdom. And so, with wisdom, we act right, we say right, we think right. And we choose the right option from everything that is given to us. In one hadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He says, Qadil Hakim yakunu nabiyan. Hikmah is so lofty that one who is Hakim, one who has Hikmah, he is almost as close as being to a prophet, being a Nabi. And that is why you see one of the individuals in history who is known as Hakim is Luqman. And there is an uncertainty about Luqman whether he was a Nabi or he wasn't a Nabi. Because he had so much Hikmah, he was a man blessed with so much wisdom that this hadith rings true. Qadil Hakim an yakuna nabiyan. That one who is Hakim is so ennobled by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so honored by him that it is almost as if he is a prophet. Now, the question that comes to mind here is, is it possible for a non-Muslim to acquire wisdom? Is it possible for a non-Muslim to gain some hikmah? And the answer is yes. Why? Sometimes, and this is again explained to us through hadith, a precious stone can also be found by someone who does not know its value. But if someone who does not know the value of a precious stone acquires it, it will not stay long with him. You will see through the history of mankind, there are many people who have found nuggets of gold and gemstones and diamonds and corals and rubies, but it doesn't stay with them for long because they don't know its value. Sooner or later, they will barter it and sell it to someone who knows its value. It will float from hand to hand until it comes to the one who deserves it the most. And sometimes wisdom or what was said in wisdom, the words of wisdom are lost in humanity, in books, in scriptures, in texts. And they are picked up by an individual who does not know its value. And he speaks of them or she speaks of them without realizing where it leads ultimately. And therefore when you find wisdom, even if you find it with one who does not deserve it, take it from him because it rightfully belongs to a mu'min. 
We have, for example, um, in one hadith that says, this is again from Amir al-Mu'minin alayhi salam, he says, Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Muhammad. He says, Al-Hikmatu Dalatul Mu'min. Hikmah is the lost possession of a Mu'min. Fatlubuha walaw indal mushrik. So look for it, even if you find it with a mushrik. Why? Takunu ahakku biha wa ahluha. Because you are more deserving of it to be the one who possesses that wisdom. So we search for wisdom through knowledge, but then it comes to us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we act on it. And it manifests itself through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I'll explain this very quickly as well. But it starts with words of wisdom that we seek, takes root in our heart, and then acts on it. You will see people who do not understand how wisdom connects to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how it is a remarkable gift from him they will speak of it but it doesn't change or alter their life it doesn't bring them to that higher level of submission where they surrender and Allah acts through them but when it comes to a mu'min and he realizes its value then it takes him to that higher level of ma'rifah we have one hadith from Isa salam, the Prophet Jesus uh, or Isa salam. he gives a very beautiful example in the olden days when they used to light a lamp they used to use different types of oils to light the lamp. Some of the oils used to give a lot of smoke. Some of the oils used to have a pungent smell. Some of the oils were very nice and fragrant that they would use to light their lamps. He says, if you come across a lamp that uses tar oil, but it is the dark of the night and you live at a time when there is darkness all around you, you will still use that lamp to get light to find your way even though the smell bothers you and it is pungent because at that point in time you will bear the smell because the light is what you need in the same manner if you find wisdom with an individual who is not righteous who does not deserve to have it despite the fact that his character is pungent and is foul Take what you can from him because he is holding a light when you live at a time of darkness and you need that light from him. So there is a beautiful wisdom in understanding this. Once we begin to acquire this hikmah and we begin to take this knowledge and it takes root in our hearts and we begin to surrender to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then it begins to manifest itself. How does it manifest itself? Of course, when we speak, people listen to words of wisdom and they begin sensing that perhaps there is a tree here from which there is wisdom coming forth. Or perhaps there is actions that we take where people might criticize in our lives at that point in time. But 10, 20 years later or after we pass away, we, they look back at our lives and they say, this man had wisdom because everything he did seemed absolutely the right thing to do at that point in time in his life. So it may not be apparent at that point in time, but there are signs by which you can tell wisdom in an individual. A person who acquires wisdom and acts on wisdom, you will find that their life is simple. You will find that their dress is simple. You will find that their food is simple. You will find that they are not greedy for this world as they are for the hereafter. And you will find that they find easy what others find difficult in life. What people find unbearable about this life and its hardship, for them it is very easy to do. Why? It is because they focus on the hereafter, on akhirah, so Allah takes care of their affairs for this world. And they 
focus on their inner self, on their thoughts and intentions. So Allah takes care of their outer self, which is their words and their actions. And they focus on their relationship with Allah and worry most about what does Allah think about this. So Allah takes care of their relationship with people and what people will think about this. And you can experiment this with your own life as I have with my own. Observe that when we run after this world, we are just chasing our tails and life becomes harder and harder and we don't seem to be going anywhere. But when we focus on the hereafter and we say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I am focusing on the hereafter for your sake, you take care of my worldly affairs, then he takes care of it and things begin to open up. Observe how that when you spend more time with Allah, then the ill feelings you have in relationships with others, he takes care of it and it no longer bothers you. But when you ignore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're constantly stressed about your relationship with others at home and outside. Why? Because Allah has a purpose for everyone and that purpose ultimately is driven towards surrendering to Him. So when we rise to fulfill the purpose of our existence, then the whole universe begins to conspire in our favor and everything begins to come together, doors begin to open, the road begins to clear before us. Because Allah has set this universe in such a manner that it is meant to help you reach Him, it is meant to help you get to Him. It is when we forget Him that we get off the right path and now everything is dark around us. But the moment we turn towards Him, everything begins to seem to fall into place. It is not a coincidence that everything begins to fall into place. It is because that is the purpose of our lives and now we are rising to fulfill that purpose. If you can recite Salawat ala Muhammad. So now I want to mention just two things very quickly as to why wisdom is denied to us to our degree. We have spoken about the Awsiya and Anbiya and the Ahlul Bayt and the Imams and Muslim, how they are completely surrendered. But we can acquire wisdom to our degree. We may not be able to attain that maqam, but we can acquire some wisdom and it is important to do so. Why is it so important to do so in this day and age? I don't think I need to spell this out to you but we all know that we live in difficult times we live in such difficult times that even within the context of the ummah within the context of muslims there is so much disagreement and so much confusion and so many groups and so many sects and so many divisions even if you zoom in into one group of shia or sunni you will find within that there are groups within groups of different manhaj, of different goals, of different ideas, of pro this and anti this. And there are people in the name of ilm who sit as scholars but confuse others, mislead others, say things that young minds get confused about, divides people and thinking is this right or is that right. When we are caught in this cyclone of confusion where we cannot decide who is right and who is wrong, we have looked at knowledge, we have looked at Quran, we have looked at Hadith, we have heard both sides of the argument. We still can't tell who is right, who is wrong. At that point what will rescue us is wisdom. Because if we have hikmah, we will immediately see the right path and we will not be misled to the wrong path. Because that is what hikmah does, isn't it? We said hikmah is the active form of the Quran. It is besides the Kitab, it supplements the Kitab, it acts in 
a dynamic manner. So you will immediately, that wisdom within us will tell us which is the right path. But wisdom is not easy to find because we cannot say, I want wisdom, I'm going to go to the Hawza or I'm going to read a book and acquire wisdom. Allah gives it. Yu'atil hikmah may yasha. He gives wisdom to whoever he wills. And whoever he gives wisdom has been given a great amount of good. So it is not our choosing. What we can do is make our hearts fertile. So that the tree is ready to plant. Once we make our hearts fertile and ready, it is Allah who will drop that seed in that fertile land of our heart from which the tree will grow. But getting to that point is the challenge, isn't it? Finding that wisdom. Forget about finding wisdom in ourselves. Finding a wise person is difficult. You might spend your life going around Canada and you might not find one person. If I want to find someone wealthy, even if I'm on the highway, I look around when I'm stuck in traffic and I see someone with a big expensive car, I might be able to tell there is a wealthy man. If I want to see someone who's really physically well endowed and very well, I could go to the gym and see someone there, right? If I want to see someone who's very good looking, maybe I'll go see, I don't know, at a beauty salon, wherever, somewhere, you'll go find them. You want to see someone who has a high social status, there are places you can go. You want to see the wealthy and the powerful, you can go to large corporations, you can go to the parliament, you can see those who are in power. You can find anybody of any category. Even if you want to find people of knowledge, you can go to the universities, you can go to the Hawza, you can go to the Masajid, you will find ulama, mashallah, you will find ilm. But if you want to find a Hakim, where will you find a Hakim? You could spend entire life looking for them. And the hukama who are wise, they purposely hide themselves. And they will not give their hikmah to anyone who is not deserving. Because they have been instructed by Allah not to share this to anyone who does not deserve it. We have this in ahadith both from previous scriptures and from current scriptures. You look at, for example, in the Bible, the Christians quote uh, in the book of Matthews, chapter 7, verse 6, they quote Jesus, Nabi Isa as saying, do not give that which is holy to the dogs and do not throw, do not cast pearls to the swine. Now this verse itself tells you that Isa as well, what was his opinion about dogs and pigs? Today, those who follow him argue with us that Muslims don't like dogs and Muslims think dogs are low and shouldn't be kept in the house and Muslims think pigs are najis. This is a Jesus himself in the Bible saying, do not give that which is holy to the dogs and do not cast pearls before the swine. And when you ask the scholars of Christianity, the way they explain this, what does it mean do not cast pearls before the swine? Obviously Jesus did not mean literally pearls, don't throw them before literally pigs. What does it mean do not cast pearls before the swine? They will tell you it means do not share wisdom with those who are not deserving because they will not know its value. And we have the exact same hadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He says the same thing, that give knowledge and wisdom to those who deserve it. Because giving wisdom to those who don't deserve it is like throwing gold and gemstones before khanazir, before pigs. 
So we ask two questions, uh, just two points very quickly. Why is it that sometimes we seek wisdom but it is denied to us? And this is more for myself and inshallah a point of reflection for the rest of us. One of the reasons that I find when I look at hadith as to why hikmah is denied is this excessive love for pleasure, for dunya. Not to fulfill a physical need, but to lust for it with excessiveness, so that one is obsessed and addicted to physical pleasure. You know, in Salatul Asr, we just prayed Salatul Asr here, the dua of Salatul Asr, we recite, وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِن نَفْسٍ لَا تَشْبَعْ and I seek refuge with you, O Allah, from a nafs that is never satisfied and never satiated. No matter, no matter how much it eats, it wants more. No matter how much it indulges, it wants more. We have one hadith from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam. He says, Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Muhammad. He says, Man zahida fi dunya athbatallahu al-hikmata fi qalbihi wa antaqa biha lisanihi. Whoever abstains from this world, whoever does not take from this world more than what he or she needs, then Allah plants wisdom in his heart. Again, plant. He gives it root in his heart. And once he does it, he makes him speak wisdom through his tongue. Notice again, Allah makes him speak. He brings it out on his tongue. But the condition is zuhud. And in the hadith of Mi'raj, we have that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells his Habib that, Oh my Habib, when a person hungers himself and keeps his stomach empty and does not indulge in it excessively, I give him wisdom. And this wisdom becomes a nur and a burhan. It lights the way in front of him so that in life he knows exactly what he needs to do in life. And it becomes a source of rahma and shafa for him and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says فَيَعْلَمُ مَا لَمْ يَكُنْ يَعْلَمْ and then he begins to realize and know that which he would never have known otherwise in other words I give him knowledge which he could not have acquired through any other source وَيُبْصِرُ مَا لَمْ يَكُنْ يُبْصِرْ and he begins to see and perceive things that he could never have perceived before and that is why when Ibrahim السلام, surrendered it himself completely, Allah says, وَلَكَدْ نُرِي إِبْرَاهِيمَ مَلَكُوتَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ We showed Ibrahim so that he was able to see the kingdoms of the heavens and the earth. And we have this in hadith as well, that if it was not for the shayateen who are constantly going around you, and keeping you heedless so that you don't think of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you would have been able to see the angels in the heavens even while you were in this world. Right? And Allah says again in the Quran, لَوْ تَعَلَمُونَ عِلْمَ الْيَقِينَ لَتَرَوُنَّ الْجَحِيمِ If you had ilmul الْيَقِينَ, you would have seen the fire of hell. You would have seen it here in this world. You wouldn't need to see it in the hereafter. So this is one of the things that we need to be careful about. And there are so many ahadith in the interest of time that I will not uh, uh, list here. But essentially we have one hadith that, you know, in summary, it says that the heart can only hold wisdom when the stomach is not always full. Not that you don't eat, but that you don't overfill it and eat with lust. And it says, when a person eats with lust and passion and desire for the sake of the pleasure of food, then his heart vomits any wisdom in it. It throws up wisdom. 
So this is very clear. Man akala ta'aman shahwatan haram Allahu ala qalbi al-hikmah. Whoever eats food with shahwa, with lust, Allah makes wisdom haram on his heart. He will never acquire wisdom on his heart. It doesn't matter how much knowledge or how many years he studied or what he does. So this is the one reason that wisdom can be denied. The other reason, and we will conclude with that, is arrogance or takabbur. That a heart that is arrogant will not acquire wisdom. And this we acquire in a beautiful hadith from our seventh Imam, Imam Musa al-Kadhim, and again, look at the analogy from, you know, awwaluna Muhammad, awsatuna Muhammad, akhiruna Muhammad, kulluna Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. Muhammad wa ala Every one of them, when they speak of hikmah, their example is that of a tree being planted, of being established. Imam al-Kadhim says, he says, in order to plant a tree, the land has to be fertile and has to be soft. Many of you do gardening in summer, isn't it? When the ground is hard or there's a lot of clay, you can't plant anything. You have to dig it out, remove the clay, and put soft soil in it. You have to soften the earth. That's when you can plant something in there. And the Imam says, Takabbur makes the heart hard. When the heart is like a solid, smooth rock, wisdom can never be planted there. It requires tawadu or humility to soften the heart. And once it is softened, then Allah can plant his tree of wisdom where it is deserving. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense why arrogance would stop us. Because let's now conclude and bring this to a full circle. We said that hikmah is only given by Allah. We said it is a precious commodity. We says Allah gives it to only those who deserve it. We said wisdom is the ability to act in the most appropriate manner at every time and under every circumstance. We said this is not possible except by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we said because we can't become Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the only way possible is for us to surrender. When we have surrendered completely, then Allah acts through us. And because Allah is acting through us, that is why wisdom manifests itself through our actions. Now if the ego stands in the way and there is an I, then how will Allah act through us? That submission will never happen. Because Allah wants to use me, use my tongue, use my hands, use my life to manifest himself and make me an ayat from ayatullah. So that people see Allah everywhere they turn. Wherever you turn, there you will see the face of Allah. That is what he wants. That everything, the sun, the moon and his ashraful makhluqat should be a mirror for his asma. But now for Allah to use me, I have to first remove that mind meds, I, that ego, that takabbur, that I am better than others. Ana khayrum minhu. I may not say it, but in my thoughts and in my actions. That is what is stopping from that, you know, state of surrender. The moment humility comes in, and I don't take credit for anything in myself, whether it is knowledge, whether it is beauty, whether it is wealth, whether it is goodness, whether it is charity. And I give all credit to Allah and say, in my physical self, I am just a glorified animal. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is His grace that through the sadaqah of Muhammad and Ali Muhammad and through His guidance, Alhamdulillahi ladhi hadana lihada wa ma kunna 
All praise be to Allah who guided us to this. And we would never have been guided had Allah not guided us to this. So giving him all credit when I surrender with humility, that is when he's able to take over and say, now when you throw, I throw. When you see, it is I who is seeing. And so we begin to see now that wisdom requires me because I have a physical self and I have a spiritual self. When I focus on the physical, when I focus on addictions and desire, I blind my spiritual self. And so excessive indulgence in the world stops spirituality and stops wisdom growing in my heart. And arrogance stops it as well. When I fight these two and I move them to the side, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses us with wisdom. And the more wisdom we acquire, the more we will appreciate Muhammad and Ali Muhammad alayhi salam. A person who acquires Allahumma salli ala Muhammad a person who acquires wisdom in the true sense, even if he is not Muslim, he is not a Muslim, he will eventually come to Muhammad and Ali Muhammad because he will realize this they define wisdom itself. There is no higher level of submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there is no one in the history of humanity who has acted with such aptness and such preciseness at every moment of their lives like these individuals. And so it is a blessing for us to have these role models and inshallah we try and acquire that level so that when Allah says that we may be amongst those that Allah wills to give a part of his wisdom so that when he gives us we can be grateful for this khair and kathir that he has given us if you can recite a salawat ala muhammad wa we have uh, recently marked the day of Arba'een and in the coming week we will be mourning for Rasulullah himself and his shahadat. So we are now in that middle phase where the Ahlul Bayt have returned to Karbala for Arba'een and now they have returned or are returning back to Medina. Many of those who went for ziyarah to Karbala for Arba'een and were blessed with this opportunity. I'm sure all of us at some point, even when we were in the Masajid and we were seeing this live you know, broadcast of Karbala, a thought must have come to us that you are late if only I was there. And so there is this hasra in our hearts that we can't be with Hussein every Muharram and every Arba'een. So before I come to the Masaib, I want to share with you how you can go for the ziyarah of Hussein whenever you please. Imam Sadiq says to one of his ashab called Sudair, He says to Sudair, Oh Sudair, do you go for the ziyarah of Hussein every day? Sudair says, No, oh Mawla. He says, Then, Oh Sudair, do you go for the ziyarah of Hussein every week? He says, no, Yabna Rasulillah. He says, do you go for the ziyarah of Hussein every month? He says, la, Ya Rasulallah. He says, oh Sudair, do you go for the ziyarah of my Jad Hussein at least once in a year? He says, Mawla, I try and go once a year, but I'm not able to go every year. But now they are in Medina, so Sudair is thinking, how would I go for the ziyarah of Hussein every day? So now the Imam explains to him. He says, oh Sudair, you don't have to go to Karbala to go for the ziyarah of Majjad Hussain. All you have to do is go to the top of your home, to your terrace, or under the open sky, 
and turn towards Karbala and say, Assalamu alayka ya Aba Abdullah. Assalamu alayka wa rahmatullah. Oh Sudair, you do this once a day and Hussein will reply you. You have gone for the ziyar of Hussein. You see how the Ahlul Bayt open up themselves to us. If we cannot go to Sham, then the Ahlul Bayt say, don't worry. Our graves are in the hearts of those who love us. Look inside, you will find the Haram of Hussein. Now ask yourself, how do I purify myself so that the Haram of Hussein is sacred? You heard on the day of Arba'een that when the Ahlul Bayt were returning from Sham towards Karbala, the first Zair of Hussein Jabir bin Abdullah al-Ansari had reached Karbala. And Jabir had gone to Furat and he had done ghusl and he had come back with his servant Atiyah. And he had done tawaf of the Qabr of Hussein saying, Assalamu alayka ya Aba Abdullah wa ala al-arwahi allati hallat bifinaik. And Jabir had thrown himself on the Qabr of Hussein. And Jabir had fainted and when Atiyah sprinkled water on his face and Jabir woke up, we are told Jabir cried, Hussein, Ya Hussein, a habibun la yujibu habiba. Oh Hussein, does a friend not reply a friend when he says salam? And then Jabir said, but oh Hussein, how will you reply me when they separated your head from your body? <laughs> then Jabir saw a cloud of dust from the horizon. And he said to Atiyah, go see who these are. And Imam Sajjad and the women of the Ahlul Bayt came. And Imam Sajjad moved Jabir to the side. And Jabir said, Yabna Rasulillah, tell me what Qayamat happened on this land. And Imam Sajjad took Jabir with him and said, come, I will show you, O Jabir. Ya Jabir, ha huna kutila rijaluna. Jabir, this is where they killed our men. Ya Jabir, ha huna subiyat nisauna. O Jabir, this is where they tied the women in ropes. Then he took him to another place. Then he said, Ya Jabir, ha huna uhrikat khayamuna. Jabir, this is where our khayam was. This is where they burnt it down. <laughs> then I don't know why. But Imam Zainul Abidin took Jabir to one particular place where Hormala shot the arrow on the neck of Asghar. <laughs> then he said to him, Ya Jabir, ha huna dubihat atfaluna. Jabir, this is where they slaughtered our children as well. Hajrukum <laughs> Allah. But the Ahl Bayt stayed in Karbala. Imam Hussein had given his wasiyah to Imam al-Sajjad that, Oh my son Ali, when you come back to Karbala, do not allow the women to stay in Karbala. Take them back with you to Medina. Imam Sajjad announced to the women, some say after three days or some say after seven days, we must now return back to Medina. Prepare to return to Medina. The Mahmils were bed together to go. When all the women were on their camels and ready to go, Zainab asked, where is Rabab? <laughs> Rabab was crying on the grave of Hussein. <laughs> Some of the Mu'arrikheen say that Rabab never returned to Medina. Some say she returned to Medina. But when the Ahlul Bayt insisted that there is nothing here but a desert, and Rabab stood from the grave of her Aqa and Mawla, she made a promise to Hussein and said, Mawla, now that I have seen your body, 
trampled and shattered under the hot sands of Karbala with the sun beating down on it. Bila ghusl in wala kafan. Rabab makes a promise to you. From this day onwards, Rabab will not sit under the shade. Ajrukum Allah. But this kafila returned to Medina. When this kafila came close to Medina, they stopped on the outskirts of Medina. They were not ready to enter the city. Imam Sajjad called the person leading the caravan, Bashir bin Jazlam. He said to Bashir, Oh Bashir, your father was a poet. Go into Medina, announce to the people of Medina and tell them we have returned. Bashir went into the city of Medina calling out, Ya Ahla Yathriba la muqama lakum. Oh people of Medina, Medina is not worth staying in anymore. The kafila of Hussein has returned. Bashir bin Jazlam said, the people of Medina dressed in black, they began streaming out to the outskirts of Medina. Bashir says, when I tried going back, there were so many people on the road to Imam Sajjad, I could not even go ahead of them. This kafila came towards the Imam. One by one, they began offering their condolences and asking, Yabna Rasulillah, what happened to you in Karbala and Shah? Imam Sajjad began explaining to them. They built a pulpit and a member for him. He went up on the pulpit and began praising Allah. After he had done that, he began saying to them, O people of Medina, my Jad Rasulullah said to the people, Qul la as'alukum alayhi ajran illa fil qurba. O people, I do not want anything from you in reward except that you love my family. O people of Medina, if Rasulullah would have said to them, I do not want anything except that you torment my family, by Allah, they could not have done more than what they have done to us. <laughs> then Imam Sajjad said, Oh people of Medina, when my father was leaving for the last time, he said to me, Oh Sajjad, when you go back to Medina, give my salams to my Shia and tell them, Hussein, Hussein missed you on the day of Ashura. And Hussein says to you with salam, when you drink water, do not forget the thirst of Hussein. If you see any gharib, do not forget Hussein. Suddenly there was a voice of crying. People began to move apart. The brother of Hussein, Muhammad al-Hanafiya came forward. Muhammad al-Hanafiya was an old man. Muhammad al-Hanafiya was blind. He came close. They brought him to Imam al-Sajjad. He began crying to the Imam and saying, Bunaya, Aina akhil Hussein, my son Ali, where is my brother Hussein? Imam Sajjad said to Muhammad al-Hanafiya, Ya Am, Ataituka Yatiman, I have come back to you an orphan. I don't have anyone with me now except women. Do not ask me, where is Abbas? Where is Ali Yudil Akbar? They all now rest in Karbala. Ajrukum Allah. This kafila began coming towards Medina. When they got to Medina, the Arbab of Azase, when Zainab saw the Masjid of Rasulullah, when Zainab saw the cover of Rasulullah, she could not come down from the camel. She fell from the camel and called out, Ya Rasulullah, Zainab condoles you over your Hussein. 
ام كلثوم بيجان كراينج مدينة جدنا لا تقبلينا فبالأحزان والحسرات جئنا مدينة do not welcome us anymore we have come back لا رجالا ولا بنينا Hussein is not with us anymore أجركم على الله Um Salma came to Zainab. Zainab, what happened to you? Your hair has turned white. Your back is bent. Ummul Banin came to Zainab. Zainab, when people say to me that someone killed Abbas, I do not believe anyone could kill Abbas. But when I hear that your Rida was taken, then I know they must have killed Abbas. Aya Zainab came to the Qabr of Rasulullah. She took out the shirt of Hussein. She kept it on the Qabr of Rasulullah. Ya Jadda, I brought you hadiyah from Karbala. The Qabr of Rasulullah began to tremble. Shabash Zainab, she carried this from Sham to Karbala. Karbala to Medina. Zainab came to the Qabr of Zahra. Amma, Zainab has returned. Zainab, Zainab, tera Yusuf mera Shabir kaha hai? Zainab, mere bacho ko kaha chor ke hai? Zainab, mere pardesi ko yasrab mein nalai? Zainab, tu luta hai gharibo ki kamai? Nikli ti to sab kumbay ko aulad ko lekar? Aayi hai fakat abide na shad ko lekar? What shall Zainab say to her mother? Amma, I gave my own and Muhammad. I could not save your Hussein. I gave my Abbas and Qasim. I could not save your Hussein. Ali Unil Akbar took a spear on his heart. I could not save your Hussein. Amma, if only Zainab could show you the marks of ropes on her head and the whips of shimmer on her back. Wa Husayna, wa Mazluma, wa Gariba, ma tamya Husayn.